Please, no judgment. This is the house of the Lord. <laughs> Judgment-free zone like Planet Fitness, right? All right, hold up. Let me get this opened up here. <clears throat> I was thankful to the Lord when uh, Pastor Joy, Pastor Joshua asked me to minister here. You know, the good news is, is that you guys can't shake us. I mean, it's not like we're going away too far. You know, I'm, I'm hoping on some type of a regular basis I'll be up here bringing the word and getting to see you guys because you're my peoples now, right? We're family. That was the, one of the exciting things about coming back to Toledo was not just reuniting with our closest friends, but also getting to broaden our family, you know, and that's how I view you guys. That's how our whole family views you guys. So that part's exciting. And I want to say thank you to you guys. I'm not going to look at you though. I'm, maybe I'll just turn this way. No, seriously, thank you to, to Pastor Joy, Pastor Joshua, to all of you. Okay, hold on. Talk on it. Um, <clears throat> thank you for giving us a time of rest. And if Pastor Dawn was down here, I'd say thank you to her ministry, to my daughter. <clears throat> and Pastor Renee to Brielle and Bristol, I'm looking the other way so you guys don't get to see it. <clears throat> but it's important to give honor to whom honors do. And the seeds that you sowed into my children and into my family, I just want you guys to know that it, they were good soil. And you're going to see a lot from them. Okay? And, and from us. Okay, now let me get on to something funny here. <laughs> no, kind of seriously. Hopefully you guys seriously are not going to be super judgmental because I'm about to give you some quotes from a Disney movie. And I know everyone has their own feelings and opinions about different movies. So just go ahead and talk to Jesus about that because he was the one who kind of said, this will be a good little uh, thing to give you here. Okay, the movie is Zootopia. How many of you guys seen it? Okay, super cute. Um, but either way, part of what I want to share with you guys today is something that I feel um, it need, we, we used to often say this in Master's Commission. It's something that needs to be caught, not taught. Like it's one of those things today that I feel like I'm opening my heart to you and exposing and pouring from my own life experience to hopefully bring something that you can gain from it. And if you will do that, I promise you, you will see lasting change in your life. I believe that with everything in me, not because it's my experience, but because it's the word of God, okay? Now, this part is not the word of God. <clears throat> this movie is about a, a family of bunnies, okay? I hope I'm not ruining it for some of you. And the little girl bunny, she just has, like, hopes to conquer the world, the little daughter bunny. And the mom and dad bunny, though, they're like... <clears throat> Little farmers, they just love their carrots. And the little one, the little girl bunny, she, when she grew up, she wanted to be a cop. She's a bunny rabbit who wants to be a cop, right? And so, of course, everyone thinks that's ridiculous. She puts on this play. They leave from the play, and the mom and dad are like, how are we going to break it to her? She's just a little bunny. She's not going to be able to be a cop. So the dad says to the little girl bunny, honey, do you know why your mom and I are so darn happy? We gave up on our dreams and decided to settle. What inspiration. And then the mom, and then the mom says, oh, we settled hard. Like, yes, we gave up everything. 
and we do nothing. And the little girl, she's like skipping around, you know, she is a bunny rabbit, they hop, you know, and she's like, I'm a trier, I want to try everything. Completely just not even listening to what the mom and dad are saying to her. Well, a couple scenes later in the movie, there's this wolf who is a big bully and like beats her down. And this is her opportunity to show one day I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to take on this fox who likes to eat bunnies, right? So he pins her down to the ground. And what does she do? She kicks him in the face with her bunny hopping feet, right? Kicks him right in the face. And he looked at her and he said, you don't know when to quit, do you? And he like says all these things to her about how she's never going to be anything. And then he goes on his merry way and her little friends come over and said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said all of those mean things to you. And she said, well, he did get one thing right. I don't know when to quit. And I love that. I love that because it says more than sometimes what we really can believe for ourselves. Man, Pastor Jorinthia, worship team, you are so on point onto what God wants to say to our house this morning. The theme of that song, or that movie is a song. We won't worry about who it's sung by, okay? Again, that's a judgment situation. But okay, it was made for a cartoon movie. And here's the words. I won't give up. No, I won't give in. Till I reach the end, then I'll start again. No, I won't leave. I want to try everything. I want to try, even though I can fail. Isn't that awesome? So here's today's thing I want you to get. Sister Dorinthia sat up there and the Lord gave a word through her mouth to us, don't quit, right? We've often heard people say things like, don't quit. You can do it. Keep pushing on. You can do it. But when someone says, don't quit to you, it gives us, a, it requires us to give a response. And here's what I want the response to be. And I hope you guys take this phrase with you, not just today, but always. When someone says, don't quit to you, I want you to say, I won't quit. Because I, someone can encourage you to say, don't quit, but only you decide if you will quit. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, so here's what we're, we're going to do this every now and then throughout this message. When I say don't quit, I want you to say won't quit. Ready? Don't quit. That word that was given to you, to us this morning through worship was saying don't quit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that you are going to bring about this morning, that you are going to transform and change us. Lord, right now. Whatever circumstance that any one of us is dealing with in this house today, whether it's sickness, whether it's grief, whether it's triumph, whether it's what's next, like we've been talking about. God, I thank you that today is a word that is going to propel this house to the next level, that it's going to propel each and every one of us to the next level in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't quit. What I want to share with you today is something that I've learned of, um, while being a Christian over 22, 22 years, 20 years of ministry across four countries, 10 states, and more cities than I can count. These few points that I'm going to share with you today were common in every single one of those places that I've been, including here. The things that I want to share to you is a compass that I've often used in my own life. We've been talking about what's next, right? We're going to talk about what's next still right now. I was talking this week with one of my longstanding dear friends who's like a mother to me in a lot of ways, and that's Miss Vicki. And we were talking about how when we make decisions in life, it's good for us to think about the end in mind. 
helps you make right choices. If you knew you'd be strung out in a crack house, you probably wouldn't smoke the pipe, right? If you knew I'm going to be faced with having an abortion, then maybe we wouldn't be having unprotected sex or sex without being married. I know these are hard things. Please just hear me out. I'm just saying, if we thought with the end in mind, we'd make a lot of different choices, right? So today we're going to start with the end in mind. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we don't focus our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What I'm about to talk about, this is the end. We don't focus on what we can see. We're going to focus on what we can see because what we can see is eternal. Isaiah 55, 12 says, instead, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The answer to our prayers, the fruit in our work for the Lord may be coming, although we may not discern its approach. A seed that is in the ground in the wintertime may seem as it's dead like it's lost. But what we know is the truth is that seed is digging roots deep into the ground to bear us a spring harvest. As we move ahead, keep what I'm saying in your thoughts. This is the end that I'm talking about. Don't quit. Oh no, that was so weak guys. Come on. Don't quit. Okay. Close your eyes for a quick second. Think about what obstacles you have. I'm serious today. I want you to think about what obstacles are before you right now. Okay, because whatever that obstacle is, that is what's stopping you to the next phase of what God has for you. Some of you, that might be something huge that everybody can see. And for some of us, it's deep inside that we don't want anyone to see. But whatever that is, that is the thing that's stopping you from going to the next level. You got it in your head? Don't quit. Led forth in peace. What disturbs our peace? Well, first of all, just so we're clear, only God can give us peace. Peace comes from nowhere else. It cannot be bought. It cannot be acquired. It cannot be traded for. The only place you can get peace from is from God. Peace is a knowing, a confidence that even though it may be difficult, what God is requiring us to do is attainable. It's within us to do it. It's the confidence. And because we have that confidence, it requires on our part an unrestrained passion to pursue it. And anything else that tries to battle with it gets put to the side. Do you understand what I'm saying? Peace means God is number one. No matter what is going on around us. Sometimes we got to do some things that people don't understand. People don't like. That's why Jesus said, don't think I came to the earth to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Doesn't that sound like, I mean, but isn't that kind of contrary? It's absolutely not contrary. Here's what he's saying. He's saying sometimes when you walk out in what God has for you to do, friends are not going to like you no more. Mothers, fathers forsake you. Jobs, all of a sudden, not maybe necessarily doing so well. If you're speaking out too loud, my young people here in the schools, when you stand up, that's the way it is. But when you do it because you know God is leading you forth in it, you can, you can receive some goodness. Man, I'm baiting you guys good. You're like, come on, tell me what these points are. 
Don't quit. Each just okay, these three things they display what can hinder our peace. This is what we want to talk about. What can hinder our peace? One is fear. I'm gonna tell you all of them right at the back. One is fear. It disturbs your peace. Two is pride. It disturbs your peace. Three, this is gonna be a tough one when we get there. Indifference. It disturbs our peace. So first we're gonna talk about fear. We're gonna go in Judges chapter four. I'm gonna talk to you today from two of my most favorite people in the Bible. Most favorite. Most, most super favorite. We're gonna do a little bit of reading, so bear with me, okay? But this is the word of the Lord for you today. So this is a good thing, okay? Judges chapter four, we're gonna start in verse four. When you're there, say, gotcha. If not, I'm sure they'll get it up on the screen here pretty quick for us. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Okay? That was his end before his beginning. He had the word of the Lord. We're going to defeat him. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Oh, my goodness. Have we sounded like that before? Okay, but God, I need another sign. That's not what he really meant. He meant this. And then we start, like, kind of changing it up a little bit to make it kind of what we feel more comfortable doing. Right? You guys are quiet because you know I'm right. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of this course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. I'm sorry, but I like that because you know I am a girl. Because God uses women. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. Now this is where it starts getting a little funky. Okay, verse 11. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab. Now this is important because basically what we're going to find out is that, where's his name at? I just lost it. Heber is a sellout. I'm sure, I, I know my Bessie, I know she's had to preach on Deborah before. He is a sellout. See, the Kenites, they were allies with Israel. But this chump, he decided he wanted to pull up his tent and go over closer to the enemy side, and he became, a, he became an enemy combatant, Vicky. He should have been in Gitmo. <laughs> Sell out. Selling, selling secrets of Israel, basically, to the enemy army. Said he, pin, he pitched his tent by the great tree by a city I'm not going to pronounce. When they told Caesarea that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Caesarea summoned some other stuff that I'm not going to say 
to the Kishon River. All this men, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advice, the Lord routed, beat down, spanked Caesarea and all his chariots and the army by the sword. And Caesarea, this little punk, he got down from, what kind of leader? He snuck off and scurried like a little rat. <laughs> and Caesarea got down from his chariot and he fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as that place I'm not going to pronounce. And all Caesarea's troops fell by the sword and not a man was left except for that little weasel, that little rat who scurried away, right? But here's what he did. He didn't know what he did. He thought he knew what he did, but he didn't know what he did. Caesarea, meanwhile, he fled on foot to the tent of Jael. This is my homie. Dude, if I could meet Jael, I would meet her one day. I'm going to one day. But, you know, while I'm here, I'm just going to keep preaching about her. She's the wife of Haber, a.k.a. sellout, combatant enemy, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. Jael, so basically, here's what my girl did. She was like, listen, Caesarea basically thinks I'm on his team, but I'm not really on his team. So she went on over to her tent. She said, oh, Caesarea, will not you come on into my tent here? Brought her into the tent. Now, you guys are already thinking something bad, and it wasn't bad. She had him come on into her tent, right? Let's keep reading. She said, Lord, come right on in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent. Why? Because he thought, that was his, they, he thought they were all cool like that. She was going to protect him. And she made it seem that way. She covered him with a blanket. He said, I'm thirsty. Can you please give me some water? Nope. She said, I'm not going to give you any water. I'm going to give you some milk. She gave him a drink and covered him up because all of us mamas know if you want someone to go to sleep, what do you give them? You ain't giving them no water. That just means they're going to keep going to the bathroom at night. She opened a, a skin of milk and gave it to him to drink and then covered him up. He said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. That is my girl, man. Right? Come on, wait. Let's think about this for a quick second, okay? This is a man who is the leader of the enemy's army. It wasn't like this was just some little, you know, I don't know, punk on the street or something. Like, this is like the top dog with all of his iron chariots and leading this whole army, right? And here's this woman only using what she had to make sure she basically made up for her husband's mistakes. She knew she had heard the stories of God. She had heard of the God of Israel. Are you kidding me? She saw the deliverance that had taken place and the stories that were told from way back to Moses. She said, uh-uh, I'm not having nothing to do with you, Caesarea. If you come in my house, I'm going to take care of you. Now, I will tell you, it is not odd. In that time, the women often pitched the tents. And the tents back there weren't, you know, back then weren't the size of our little pop-up tents now. You know, they were like gigantic. You know what I'm saying? So she knew how to handle her stuff. Why is this important for me? And what does this have to do with fear? Well, first, we could talk about Mr. Barack at the beginning, remember? Oh, Deborah, I'll only go if you go with me. 
you are the captain of the Lord's army. Like, what do you have to be afraid of, right? But he was, but that's not who I'm talking about today. I'm talking about Jael. She had to overcome what other people would think by taking some other man into her tent. Okay? Because that's not right. And on from outside appearances, they would be like, oh, she's shady up to something wrong. Okay, don't get me twisted. Do not be taking some men into your house, women. I'm not trying to, like, confuse you here. I'm just speaking to, I am just speaking to the fact that she was going to have to stand up for herself. And in the long run, it would all play out. She also had to stand up to her husband's own actions. You know, sometimes, now in my family, my five-person household, Isaiah would be the one who would have to fix my mistakes. <laughs> He's, I, I'm, I'm always like, man, baby, if I could be like you, I would be amazing. But here she did. She stood up to him. She stood up even to her husband. And God didn't require of her to use something she didn't have. He required of her to use what she did have, what she did know. Sometimes when God asks us to do something, we get all fearful because, but God, I don't know how to do it. But God, what if they say this about me? But God, but God, but God, but God, right? Be honest. That's what we do when God asks us, you need to cut that relationship off. But God, you know how it is and you know how they're going to be to me. And then what about my family? All these different things. And we tell them, we tell them, we tell them. It's nothing but fear. Some of us look at our own inadequacy. Some of us think of all these different, I mean, good excuses. Some of us, you give us a quick second, we've come up with some really good reasons why God didn't mean what he said. I mean, so good, you might even convince everybody in your house. You might, maybe, maybe I missed it. But no, God uses what you have. He, he, he used what she had. She used her milk, what she probably gave to her babies and her husband when she wanted him to go nunny. And a tet peg and a hammer because she was used to dealing with it. And she struck that evil person down and brought peace and reconciliation to her whole family and victory to God's people. Do not allow the bigness of what God asked you to do to intimidate you from standing up to it. You hear what I'm saying right now? Some of you guys, it might be a huge thing. Something so big you feel like you can't conquer it. Listen, I'm talking from a little tiny Puerto Rican girl who grew up on the east side of Youngstown with barely enough food to really even be surviving, okay? And here I am today saying, do you know how many things I had to stand up against and not be afraid? Like, I'm really being serious right now. When I say I'm going to open my heart, I'm going to open my heart to you. Listen, guys, when families who had their lives together, okay, opened their arms for me to give me a chance, that was scary because all I knew how to do was not the right thing from the example that was in my life and because I was young and I didn't know any better. That was intimidating to live in a house where they wash their clothes every day. How do I have manners when I sit down at a table to eat? Do you get what I'm saying? I've had to overcome some fears when God said initially to move to Youngstown to Toledo knowing absolutely nobody. I had to overcome my fears, and you have to overcome your fears, too. Some of us, I know you, you a man, I ain't got no fears, I'm brave, I'm courageous, I got this. Come on now. Come on now. I'm not saying you got to tell everybody that you are afraid. But we know in our hearts when something comes up to us, and we're fearful of it. Do not be intimidated by the bigness of what God is asking for you to do. Don't quit. Don't quit. I got to try to make this marriage work. We got a mess. 
Don't quit. God's asking me to give a little bit more than I feel like I've got time to do. Don't quit. Okay, our next one, pride. I hope I'm not taking too long. If so, just just give me the, you got to shut up hand over here and I'll stop. The next one is pride. This one won't take as long. I'm going to sum this one up a little bit more. Pride. Second Samuel 23, 8 through 12. Now you're about to get my, one of my, this is probably my second, I mean, Jesus is the top, guys. Come on. We don't really compare Jesus to anyone in the Bible, but characters in the Bible, here comes my next dude. Love him. Second Samuel 23, 8 through 12. I'm going to kind of basically sum it up. In this chapter, we find out who David's mighty men were. David, you know, the one who beat Goliath, did all the, you know, big stuff. We're talking about his mighty men, okay? He had 30 of them, but three were the mightiest of them. You probably remember me talking about him before. He's my favorite. The first one, it said, as a warrior, these are warriors, okay? Just so you don't think I'm saying we should go kill people. These are military people. This is what they were supposed to be doing. The first one, he raises spear. I'm not going to pronounce their names for you. Sorry, they're kind of hard. The first one, he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Okay, guys, this is a machine gun. He killed 800 men in one encounter with a spear. That's for real. He should be on the list, don't you think? The second one, this man, when others fled, he struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Can you imagine his hand? He was so tired. He was done fighting. He couldn't get his hand off the sword. It was froze to the sword. And he brought a victory for the Lord. But the third is my favorite. And his name is Shama. And I'll tell you his name because I love this dude. Verse 11. Next to him was Shama. And I like this part, son of a G. I like to think, I, I like to think I'm a daughter and a, of a G. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the Herite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, basically are beans, the Israel troops fled from them. But Shama took his stand in the middle of the field and he defended it and he struck down the Philistines and the Lord brought about a great victory. Okay. This dude's job, he's listed as one of the top three mightiest men in the Bible. And his job was to protect a field of beans. What, what word, what's our second point? What are we talking about? Pride. Beans. But God, I'm so amazing. Shouldn't I be getting more than this? I'm better than that. I'm better than her. I'm better than him. Me, 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 right? Isn't that what we do? We see someone else get promoted and we think that shouldn't be your promotion. That should be my promotion. But here's this man when everyone else ran, stood in the field of beans and defended it for the Lord because that's what he was supposed to do. And he was listed out of the 30 mighty men as number three. I kind of wonder if it was because he defended the beans or if he defended, you know, kind of basically cast down that pride. What's he really known for being mighty for? Do not think so highly. We should not think so highly of ourselves that we would be unwilling if God asked for us to protect a field of beans 
or whatever it is that we think is beneath us, that we wouldn't do it. Don't quit. Serve in the nursery and preschool? I should be preaching. I got some good stuff to say. Dude, let me tell you what. I have learned more about God being a mother than I ever had in anything I've learned in any biblical school, any type of... These kids, man. The worst is when God shows you yourself and your kids. You're like, oh, God. Listen, come on. This morning, Bristol's too little to get offended. I told a story about her, but... She got up. She is like the girl to the max. She wants to pick her outfit. She wants to tell you this, that, and the outfit, you know, what outfit she should wear. So I had her outfit laying out, and she gave me one of those. I was like, what's wrong with your face? She was like, mm, I want to wear a tank top. I'm like, you're not wearing a tank top to church today. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be dressed nice for church today. Okay. And she puts her clothes on. And the Lord said, hmm, that face looks familiar. <laughs> What do you mean, Lord? Well, you have to leave your best friend. You got to leave some of your family. And you're looking at me like, "Mm, but God. Dang it, Lord. Okay. Don't quit. (laughs) Pride. We're going to kill it. Now, this is the tough one. How much time do I got? Okay. This is a tough one. Okay. So I tell you that ahead of time because I think for all of us at multiple times in our life, we will deal with this. This is a really hard thing to deal with, and I want us to because God wants to do great things in our lives, okay? Number three is indifference. Doesn't seem like a big word, I know. Some people would call it lukewarm. Some people would call it being comfortable. Some, some people call it all these other different words. I call it indifference, but in this particular case that I want to talk about today... It's connected to bitterness. And here's why I'm saying that. A lot of times when we got a little bit sour about something, in order to not deal with the issue, we put on a I'm happy face. Do you know what I'm talking about? And the longer you do that, your peace is disturbed. Because peace only comes from a repentant heart towards God. And we can't hold on to all of that stuff. Everyone else might think we're okay, but we're really not okay. Okay? The scary thing about it is, after a while, you start to think that you're just fine and everything is okay. It is a false sense of security. It is a false peace. I would even call it that. It is a false peace. Realize that we are not waiting on God. He is waiting on us. Here's the thing we need to catch with this. Often we get caught up with multiple things. Comparison, keeping up with those who are around us. We get bitter with life. We say to God, why them and not me? You don't know what they did to me. You don't know my personal loss. And even sometimes we turn it inwardly. Once we, sometimes we can find it in us to forgive other people and deal with our issues and never forgive ourselves. So we turn it inwardly. And instead of saying, you don't know what they've done, we say, but God, you don't know what I've done. How can you ever use me again? How could God ever have a plan for my life after what I did? See, because this is what we, this is what's true. This is true. We hold this behind our back and we think that God can't see it. That's why I love what Pastor Drinkia, when she was ministering this morning, there's nowhere you could go. He will not come looking for you. Even the ugliest thing you could think of in the midst of it, right in the middle of it. 
he will come and get you out of it. Don't let that, don't let that get you and turn inward. Do you hear me? Before God can bring peace of mind, he has to clear out the rubbish. And before he can do that, he has to give us an idea of what the rubbish is. Those are some of the examples that I gave you. But I want to read to you from Psalm 73 because it says it even clearer. It's in the message. I don't know if you guys can pull it up in the message. If not, it might look a little bit funny. <clears throat> I'm telling you, let go of that self-hatred. Self-hatred will make you sick. I don't mean just thrown up. I mean like sick in your bones, in your stomach. It can literally make you ill to the point where you could be hospitalized. I'm, I'm being totally serious. I mean, bitterness in general does. Don't get me wrong. But if you can't let go of it within yourself, it will make you sick. Okay. Psalm 73. You guys got it? Nope. Okay, that's okay. Just get it when you get there because it's a lot. But it's really good. It's in the message. You're going to like it. Here we go. No doubt about it. God is good. Good to good people. Good to the good hearted but I nearly missed it, missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who had it made, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world. Pretentious with arrogance, they wear the latest fashions and violence. Now, and I don't even just mean in violence. I mean, sometimes we look at them and go, man, I wish I had what they had. Pampered and overfed, decked out in silk bows of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They are full of hot air, loud mouths disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They, made, they have made it piling up riches. I have been stupid to play by the rules. Come on, how many of us have said that before? What has it gotten me? It reminds me of uh, my kindred spirit over here last week saying, what's next? I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. That's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I had given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed your dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I saw the whole picture, the slippery road you've put them on, with a final crash in a ditch of delusions in the blink of an eye disaster, a blind curve in the dark and nightmare. We wake up, rub our eyes, nothing. There was nothing to them and there never was. When I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence but you've taken my hand. Didn't you say it this morning? My sister said this morning, oh, I love the Lord. She was, she was prophesying to us. He said, I will take you by the hand. Did you hear? I can't sing it like her because, I mean, I just can't. But she said, he will take you by the hand. Isn't that what it said? I was a dumb, ignorant ox. In my case, maybe it, never mind, I won't say it. In your very presence, I still am in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly lead me, and then you bless me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. 
Look, those who left you are falling apart, deserters. They'll never be heard from again. But I am in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made the Lord God my home, who I am telling the world what you do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen to how good God is. Don't you just want to praise him? I can't even help myself because sometimes that's what we do when we're indifferent. We're so busy looking at everybody else. We get so caught up in everybody's next adventure, what they have, what we don't have, that we miss it. That the one and only thing we will ever need is God and the peace that he gives that only can be found in him. You could have the nicest house, the nicest clothes, the newest car, the nicest everything, best relationships, and you have nothing if you don't have him. What's he say in Revelation? Come on. It's he, it, it puts it even more plain. I won't even talk about the beginning part where he says, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, even though that is what it says. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor. Think about what pitiful looks like. And blind and naked, I counsel you. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those who I love, listen, and this is how good he is. He just rebuked the mess out of us, right? And then he says, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. God doesn't give us strong words to beat us down. He's saying, listen, I have to show you the rubbish in your mind so that I can give you peace. I can't give you peace when you have the rubbish in your mind. When you're looking at this, that, and the other, you can't get the peace of God. And he says, I show it to you, and I say it to you in plain words that kind of step on your toes, because I love those that I discipline. I am talking to those who are in here who live their life comfortably, casually. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not questioning your salvation. But what I'm saying to you is this, be hot or cold. Rid yourself of the self-hate, the hate for others, the, the, the looking to fill a need other than with God. Get rid of it. When I think about when my bestie and Pastor Josh and Isaiah and I and a few others in this room, dude, I don't think you guys even know. You guys don't even really know what it's like to see the spirit of God poured out in such a way that church goes for three hours and not because the person preaching went too long. And it's not just because we're so radical. We were just so something. Dude, we were so hungry for God. It was God or nothing else. We didn't even care if we got married. We didn't care about nothing. It was Jesus Christ and him crucified and the world needs to know. Everyone is all sad this week about Muhammad Ali. And I'm not saying I'm not sad for the dude about him passing away. But I can tell you what I'm really sad about. I'm sad that that man died a Muslim. And I'm not hating against Muslims. Jesus loves them. But it's too late for him now. That's what I think of. And how, and how close are we to those who are out there that we see every single day. And we don't even tell them about Christ. Yes, there is a time to let our life speak, and then there's a time to open our mouth. 
I know I'm talking really strong right now because I'm breaking through that. Indifference is, oh, it's okay. That's for them, not for me. It's okay. I have my plan. This is all God wants to use me for. No, if you have air in your lungs, listen, let me just hit on this quick. I won't stay here long. If you have a loved one next to you, your spouse specifically, let me tell you that. Either way, Isaiah and I have had the, uh, the unfortunate, whatever you want to call it, of seeing both of our parents pass away. But when his mother passed away, his father was so jacked up. 25 years of uh, an amazing marriage. Do not hold your spouse back. Don't hold your kids back. Listen, if you're going to be indifferent and you want to decide to be casual, do not hold your spouse back and do not hold your children back with that indifference. Do you hear me? But I pray to God that you'll get rid of the indifference so that God can use you fully. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? I know it's a lot. I'm going to end with this. Don't quit. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, 2 Peter 1, 10 through 11, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What fear? Here, honey, hand me that real quick. I'm not going to know this one. Here's my tent peg. In the Old Testament, it would have looked a little bit different than this, but it, this is a pretty close, and it probably, probably was a little bit even more substantial than this because they had to hold down something really serious. Okay. I want, I want you to visually see the tent peg today because I want you to think about whatever fear it was. When we went through all of these things, you knew what they were. We're going to put a tent peg through some fear today. We're, gonna, we're, we're not just going to like kind of put it in where we could do brain surgery and fix it later. No, we're going to kill that thing. We're going to kill it. We're going to sink the thing so deep into it, it goes to the ground and never rises again. Okay? And I'm not going to make a mess. I'm going to try not to because we got second service. Hold on. Look at the little beans. Can you see them? I'm just going to drop a few of them so you can see them. Some of us are going to get rid of the pride that says, I can't do something small. But how good is God that he says what? If you're faithful in. He's so smart, right? He's so smart, isn't he? And I don't have anything for indifference. You want to know why? Because just getting out of your seat means you've crushed indifference. Standing on your feet means you've done something more than maybe you've done in a long time. I want to encourage you to stand up with me. I don't want my beans to go everywhere. Well, I mean, I don't really care if they do, but... Beans everywhere. Tell Francis I'm sorry or whoever. I'm short, so I'm going to come up here. If you could close your eyes with me, I won't take too long. When God doesn't work, he doesn't need three hours. He could do it in a second. But if it does take long, it's okay for you to stay and linger. That's all right, too. If you close your eyes with me, don't quit. What's next? That's what we've been talking about, right? What's next for you? Well, whatever's next for you, what I talked about today is standing between you're what next? I want you to think about whatever fear that makes you not cut off who you need to cut off. 
What fear that says you're inadequate and you can't do it? What about my reputation? I'm too cool. I want you to think about what things seem small to you that you feel like, God, I just can't do that though. And for those of you who haven't really done something that makes you uncomfortable in stepping out for the Lord in a while. If you can relate to any of those things, just so you know, I relate to all three of them. Every day I have to fight against the fears that the devil would want to put at me. Every day I have to remind myself that I must decrease so that he can increase. And every day I have to remind myself that I'm not going to be passed up by the generation underneath me. Heck no, I'm going to pour out what I have into them and I'm going to receive what they have to offer. And I'm going to, and I'm going to die testifying about the work that Jesus did on the cross. If you relate to any one of those things, I just encourage you to take a step of faith and come up to the front and meet me here. Lord. Can you guys come in more towards the middle? Your what next is right around the corner. Some of you guys are going to do things so much bigger than you can see right now. Some of you guys, I feel like I've looked at you a lot of times and thought, wow, I wonder if they really realize the bigness that's inside of them. We cut ourselves short a lot of times. the rest of my little beans right up here in a pile in case you want to take some beans home and I'm going to pray for you lift your hands up to the Lord Father I thank you right now in the name of Jesus God I thank you that you are releasing inside of those who are confident enough today to say God I'm not happy where I'm at I don't want to be given into fear anymore I don't want to think that I'm more than what I am and God I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines convincing myself that what I'm doing is enough God, I pray that you would touch every single one that was courageous enough to come up here today. Father, I thank you that you are breaking fear in Jesus' name. You are breaking pride in Jesus' name. You are breaking lukewarm indifference in Jesus' name. I thank you that there's going to be victories in marriages, and those marriages are going to do mighty things in God. And these young people who responded, they're going to transform their schools, God. They're not just going to say it with words anymore. They're going to do something about it. If any of the prayer warriors can come up, just stand behind everyone. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. When I lay hands on you, I'm believing for a breakthrough in Jesus' name. 